Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, TC. We are so glad that you guys are here. Let's give it for all those that got baptized today. How amazing was that? Man, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. We are so excited. Uh, for all of you guys. We're going to jump straight into our series. If you're new, man, we are so excited that you guys are here. We know it's Memorial Day weekend and, and a lot of our people are out traveling, visiting parents and grandparents and all those things, but we're so glad that you're here. And I do believe that God has something special for you today. And so let's jump straight in. We've been in the Alone series where we've been talking about what salvation, what being saved really is, and oftentimes what it's not. And so the last two weeks, we've talked about the fact that we're saved by grace alone. This is unmerited favor. It's a free gift that God gives us, and we can't earn that. Uh, And then last week, we talked about how uh, once the free gift has been extended to us, we receive it by faith. And we don't receive it by works. We don't receive receive it by earning it. We receive it by faith and putting our faith in Christ. And so we talked about that last week. And then this week, we're going to talk about Christ alone. Turn your neighbor and say, Christ alone. All right, that was pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. That was good. I, it must have been that third song. Got y'all going, huh? So, uh, so Christ alone. Uh, and so as we kick off uh, today, uh, so we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so uh, the, the beauty behind this message is what Jesus did for us, and that's what we want to talk about today. Uh, so listen, uh, real quick, as we're getting started. I got a little game I'm going to play with somebody, and so um, who wants an opportunity to make like 20 bucks? Look, Keith, come on, bro. You raised your hand before I even got the question out. Come on, man. Yep, come on, come on. You going to do, There it is. Look at it. He's real excited. $20. Okay. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Look, Keith, I got some cups up here with, with some stuff, and don't block it. Let them see it, okay? So here's, here's, here's the rules, all right? I bet you that you can't drink this one before I drink both of these. Oh, that's easy money. All right. All right. All right. Some of y'all are like, there's a catch. Boy, there's a catch. All right, so, so here's the deal. All right. So here's the rules, right? All right. I get to drink one of these completely. Okay. And then once it hits the table, and it still has more than yours. Okay. So I get to drink one of these completely. Once the cup hits the table, then you can start, and I'll start on the second one. Okay. And whoever, whoever went. Okay. So I already have like four ounces in. All right. All right. So, you just gotta start so I drink this one completely. Once the cup hits the table. Once it hits the table. Then you can start on that then one. Then I can start on that. Okay. So can I already have that in my hand? No. Okay. All right. All right. So, so here's the thing, though. You can't touch my cup, okay. and I can't touch your cup. So right. you can't touch either one of my cups, and I can't touch your cup. Dope. All right? We ready? Well, yeah. Go ahead. Any questions? No, no. I want to be clear if we got questions. I think I, think I got it. Okay. So you can't touch my cups. I can't, I can't touch, touch your cup. Once this one hits the table, right. you can start. Okay. okay? Not quite. All right. You ready? Yeah. What? Hold Can't on, touch wait. my cup. Can't what? T- yo, that ain't even, that ain't even fair. That's, that's not even. I, yo, and then you're just going to drink it slow because you know I can't. T- okay. You, sh- you got me. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Doesn't matter. You're good. All right. Bro, that's it. That's it. So, <laughs> thanks for playing, though. I appreciate it. 
That was a lot to put down at one time. Now I'm feeling kind of, whew, all right. That was an energy drink, too. That was probably a bad idea. We're switching to Kool-Aid for next service. <laughs> and we're going to finish this one in 10 minutes. Okay, so. All right. Now, why in the world will we start with a game like that? Because here's what I believe it's like in Christianity. I believe many of us are losing at a game we didn't even know we were playing. In the world, not, not as Christians, but in the world, when we were lost in our sin, we were losing at a game we didn't even know we were playing by rules we didn't know we were playing by, not realizing that we were never going to win the game anyways. You see, we've put ourselves in a position of thinking like, man, if, I'd, if, like, if the rules are in my faith, like if the game is set up right, I could win this. In other words, we have believed, we've been fooled into believing that if we did it right, we could actually get to heaven on our own merit. And the problem is the enemy has been playing a game with us the whole time. And the rules were created long before you and I got here that we would never win it on our own. You see, the reality is we're playing an unwinnable game that was over before it ever started. And if that was the end of the story, that would be terrible. Because here we are, how many of you can realize and, and acknowledge within yourself that you don't have it in you to fix yourself? How many of you have ever tried fixing yourself? How many of you guys are knowing, it doesn't matter how many podcasts, YouTube videos, and self-help books you read, there's something still in you that convinces you to be the version of yourself you don't want anybody else to see. All right, only seven of us. The rest of you, okay. So but how many of you know we still got some stuff we're dealing with? And because we still got stuff we're dealing with, we feel that we're at prey to the enemy. And here's the reality. As long as we think that we can play the game by his rules, we always feel like we're losing because we're not good enough. So we all know that sin that is behind closed doors that nobody else maybe knows about, but we know about it and we feel like it disqualifies us. And here's the deal. If that sin were left alone, it would disqualify us. But today I want to talk to you about this idea that Christ alone requalifies us. And it is only through him. And so to understand that, we got to break down the two covenants that God created with man. All right. So let's look at those two covenants. The first one in your notes, if you have those, you can take them out, is the covenant of works. The covenant of works. And I want to give these two covenants to you very quickly. And here's the idea behind the covenant of works is have you done enough to be saved is a question I want you to ask yourself. Have I done enough to be saved? And though many of us may know that the answer is no, here's the problem that we run into. It doesn't stop us from trying, though, does it? Like, I know I can't do enough to be saved, but I'm still going to work my tail off trying to make it happen. So I'm going to try to do enough good things. I'm going to try to be a good person. And the problem is you can't do enough good things, and you can't be a good enough person to save yourself from the sin that is in yourself. And so... We have this covenant of works where you do all the right things, and if you do all the right things in the Bible, then you, you follow the law well enough, you create enough sacrifices, then you can get your way in. The problem is you can't really do that, can you? And so we struggle, and here's what we've done, is we've fallen trapped to this idea that Christianity is really just moralism. Christianity is really just be a good person. How many of you guys have ever heard that before? Like all Christianity, all any religions really are is just be a good person. And that couldn't be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, that phrase alone actually damns people more than it helps them. Because you can't be a good person in and of yourself. Like, 
How many of you, if God were to play every thought that you had in your mind on the screen behind me, you would cower in terror in a corner somewhere? You're like, no, I don't think so. I don't want to play that game. That one's all right, but that one's not, I'm not in that wheelhouse. And the reality is this, here's what, here's what many people believe Christianity is. It's, a, it's moralism where you be a good person and the world looks at Christianity like this. It, all it really is is how we or God feels or how the Bible talks about money or sex or drinking or cussing or lying. So, so it's really just about how God and the Bible feels about all of these things. And hear me something, moralism has little to do with Christianity. As a matter of fact, Matt Chandler puts it this way. He says, one of the most common misconceptions about Christianity is that it's some, port, uh, some sort of moral betterment program. Because it's never been about becoming a better person. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's never been about becoming a better person. All right, turn to the person you just neglected on the other side of you. All right, let them play. All right, say, it's never been about becoming a better person. Because hear me, God did not come to make us better. He came to make us new. He didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. And we go back to grace alone. We talked about how we were dead in our sins, but Jesus brought us back to life. And so we, we couldn't fulfill the covenant of works where we were just being a good person and God's going to love us for that. And so here's the reality. He's the standard. So if we're talking about being a good person, I just want to help clear this up for you. If we're talking about being a good person, who's the only good one? God, right? G- fair answer. Okay, so, so who's the only one, good one? Jesus. So if we're going to be good and the only good thing we have to measure ourselves up against is Jesus, then we have to be as good as Jesus to be good. Is anybody hitting that mark? Didn't think so. Okay, if you raise your hand, it's like you're lying, you missed the mark. Okay, so that's how that was going to go. So I want to take you to Mark 10, and I want to look at a brief story as we get into the rest of today. Mark 10, verse 17 And it says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now I want you to pay close attention to the the way he phrased this question, because this is how many of us phrase the question and it's wrong out of the gate. What must, what are those two words? I do to inherit eternal life. And my message to you today is, you know what the answer is? Nothing. You can do nothing to inherit eternal life. And if that were the end of this message, you would all leave never coming back. He says, what must I do? And so Jesus, in verse 21 through 22, look at, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus says this, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, man, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And this passage is not so much about the rich getting into heaven as much as it is about this reality. That as good as you and I can try to be in this life, as good as you and I can strive to be, as, as much as we can try to do the right things, for every single one of us, There is a perimeter drawn around an aspect of our life that will say, God, I'll go as far as you want me to go except there. I'll give up everything I have except that thing. And here's the problem. Many times we don't even know it's that thing until God asks for it. 
And we go, uh, I'm looking for the like health, wealth, prosperity thing. I don't know where the translation got lost, right? And, and if it's ever been, God, what can I do? You'll always walk away the same way as the rich young ruler did, feeling sad. But this is the beauty that I want to bring to you because we need a better savior than ourselves. And God gave us one. And in Christ alone, we can get what we could never give to ourselves. And that is a fresh start. That is a new beginning. That is grace. And that is our sins washed away. So Christ gives us a new covenant. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. We've used this every week. We're going to use it again. Say those first two words with me. But God... You were dead in your trespasses. I was consumed in sin, and guess what? But God. You, you were going down the path that you thought was good, but God. You, left to your own devices, might have done a few good things, but inherently had evil in your hearts, just like me, but God being rich in mercy, right? What does it say? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were consumed by our sin, even when we were lost to ourselves, what did he do? Made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Which brings us to the second covenant that God gives with us. And that's the covenant of grace. You see, God shows up on the scene, and since works doesn't work, he gives us grace. But there's only one way that grace could be given to us. Because if we couldn't earn grace, grace had to be a free gift. But it can only be a free gift if somebody else paid for it. So what happens? Jesus pays for grace so that we could get the free gift. Now somehow in church world, this message has been lost. Because we've turned it back into a moral betterment program, haven't we? It's like if you quit doing this and you quit doing so, so quit drinking, quit smoking, you know, quit like don't quit doing like don't don't watch rated R movies, like you know, like like don't do all these things. And then maybe you'll be good enough to get in. And hear me, it's never been about all of these things. It's only ever been about putting your faith in the one that did what you could never do. And that's live the life, die the death, pay the payment so that we could experience eternal life. And that is what we're going to talk about today because it's not about being good enough. But looking to Jesus who paid for our sins, who was good enough for us. And hear me. Once our faith is in Christ, then we pursue Christ and his righteousness. So hear me. I'm not saying that because you're saved, you can just wild out all the time. That's not what we're talking about. How many of you know when Jesus comes and extends grace to us and we put our faith in him, now we live a new life in Christ. That means things, the old me is gone, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and the new me is here, and now my behavior patterns do start to change a little bit. Now, something different on the inside of me. Now my talk is a little different. Now, everybody don't catch these hands, just a few people. No, I'm just kidding. So, like, so, like, so it's hit or miss there, all right? So uh, depends on what night it is. Anyway, so... How many guys know that when Jesus comes on the scene, it changes who we are and therefore our behavior changes? But hear me, our behavior doesn't change so that we can get Christ. Our behavior changes because we got Christ. And so he comes on the scene and he does something new. And so 
today, for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about this idea that Christ alone made the great exchange. The great exchange. Here it is. You ready? My sin for his righteousness. The great exchange. He made it. My sin for his righteousness. And he paid for it with his life. So let's look at exactly what that looked like. Uh, in your notes, Christ alone, first off, he lived the life we could not live. And today's going to be a little more teaching, a little, more, uh, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching, but I, I hope you'll stay with me. Christ alone lived the life we could not live. Say life. He lived the life we could not live. And in the culture shop right now, there's shirts. You've seen people walk around wearing them. They're green. They say hypostatic union across the front of them. That, that means that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. When he walked the earth, he was fully God, he was fully man. And it was required for it to be that way. And here's the reason why. He was 100% man so that he could stand righteous on man's behalf, having been tempted and can sympathize with man over the struggles of life that man has. So he was 100% man in the flesh. He was tempted the way you and I were tempted. He had opportunities the way you and I had opportunities. He had things put in front of him the way you and I have things put in front of us. He, was, he had, listen, there were situations where people could have caught hands and he was like, nope, grace. Except when he flipped tables in the temple, that was different. Okay, so that was righteous anger. But he, he had opportunities. Women approached him, fellas, the same way women approach you. He, he was tempted, tested in every way, yet he did not sin, the Bible says. A hundred percent man was tempted in every way. And here's the beautiful part. So that he can sympathize with you and I over our temptations and struggles. So he's tempted in every way. He's a hundred percent man. But hear me, if he was going to be man sacrificed, he had to know man's struggles. And so he became our, so he lived the perfect life, became man sacrificed so that he could know our struggles. And then he gave his life. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says it like this. For our sake, he made him to be sin. He made Jesus to be sin, to take on sin who knew no sin. He didn't sin himself, but he took it on himself so that in him, talking about Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Not by your works, but because it's a gift. How amazing is that, that Jesus gives us that, but he wasn't just 100% man, he was 100% God. That as he walked this earth, he was 100% God, and he had to be 100% God because only someone who was 100% God could consume the wrath of God on our behalf. And you see, Many people talk about God like, you know, the Old Testament God is a God of wrath. The New Testament God is a God of love and grace. But the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do we reconcile the idea that Jesus, uh, that God never changes, yet we see two completely different images? Well, the reality is, it's not that God in the Old Testament was different than God in the New Testament. It's that someone came in between them to separate the two different channels. So Jesus steps on the scene and hear me, God's wrath didn't go away. I, want you, I really want you to grab a hold of this and I wasn't even gonna say it because I thought it might be too heavy for some of y'all, but hey, we're here. So like, I, I, I want you to grab a hold of this fact because many people believe that when Jesus came on the scene, God's wrath went away. Hear me, God's wrath never went away. Jesus didn't get rid of God's wrath on our behalf because, because we have sin in our life, God's wrath was gonna come to us. Hell was gonna be our destination. Hear me, when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't get rid of God's wrath, he consumed it on our behalf. 
He took all of it on our behalf, Justin, Lydia, myself, Rich. He, he took God's wrath that was set aside for us because sin had been part of our life. God's wrath that was coming for us because of the sin in our life. Jesus didn't look at it and go, I'm gonna get rid of that. He looked at it and said, I'll take it on myself. And that's the Jesus that we're talking about. And hear me, but it, would, it could only be Christ alone that could do it because he's the only one who was 100% man and 100% God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And so the reason that only he could pay for our sins, though, so he lived the life we could not live. But the reason he was the only one that could pay for our sins is because Christ alone also died the death we deserve to die. Christ alone died the death we deserved to die. And I promise this is going to get more fun in a second, but here's the reality. Because sin was in our life, hell was our destination. Like I, I always like to make sure people are clear on that. Like, it's like, well, you know, I might have got out, you know. It's like, this is not Monopoly. <laughs> right? Like, you don't get to go around the board twice, and it's like, all right, you know. Like, no, no, no. Like, hell was our destination, my destination, your destination. Hell was all of our destinations because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. In other words, none of us on our own accord could have gotten there to heaven on our own. That means there was something set aside for us. And, and here's the reality. If it was set aside for us, friends, then we were going. And in our death, fear of death was inescapable because the reality of death brought the reality of what comes after death which for all of us would have been hell. Turn to your neighbor and say hell. That was probably the most depressing thing you could have said all day right there. <laughs> for those of you that are watching online, look at your cat and say hell. There's a good chance there's a spirit of hell in that cat. So I'm just letting you know right now. Like, cats are demonic. I'm just letting you know right now. I'm not, you know, whatever. Rebellion, witchcraft, cats, it all runs. Okay, so anyway, so <clears throat> just kidding by the no, okay, so <clears throat> Christ alone died the death we deserve. Hell was our destination. And hear me, friends, here's the reality that we have to face. Because that was the death that was waiting for us, and because that was the death that was waiting for us, we had a fear of death. Now, many of us have a fear of dying, don't get me wrong. Like, none, one's, none of us are looking forward to that. But there's a difference between fearing dying because you're uncertain as to what that's going to be like and fearing death because you're uncertain as to what comes after. And many of us fear death because we're uncertain as to what comes after death. But the reality is Jesus died the death we deserve to die so that we could experience the life that he gave to us. And so he died. That's, that's why when Paul says Death, where is your sting? Paul is saying, death, where is your reality of control now? Because Jesus already took away the sting of what comes after. And so we go to uh, Isaiah 53, 5, and we see what it talks about when it says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. Talking about Jesus. The punishment that brought us peace was placed on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
And that word healed there isn't talking about uh, your sinus problem. It's also not talking about your cancer. It's talking about your eternity. You are you, your spirit, your soul, your everything in your being that fears everything that comes after this world is healed because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's through Christ and Christ alone. Romans 4, 25, he was delivered over to death for our trespass and he was raised to life for our justification. So it was his death in our place that gave us life. And because of that, here's the beauty, Christ alone defeated the giant we could not defeat. Christ alone defeated the giant we could not defeat. And, and here's the reality, right? You guys ready? How many of you guys have ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Right, David and Goliath? All right, so uh, maybe if you haven't heard that yet, I want to kind of catch you up for a little bit. Stay with me. Uh, so uh, David and Goliath. David is a little Hebrew boy. He, uh, he, so he uh, gets anointed and gets told he's going to be king, right? Uh, but after he gets anointed, told he gets, he's going to be king, he gets sent out into the fields. So he goes back to the fields, and, and there he actually uh, kills a few animals, like lion and a bear, with his bare hands. And he goes to where his brothers are, because his brothers are fighting in a war. And when he gets to the battlefield, he encounters a giant. The giant's name is Goliath. And Goliath is cursing the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And so as he's cursing the God of Israel, David walks up and his brothers and all of the nation of Israel is cowering behind a hill and rocks. And they're terrified to face this Goliath. And as they're cowering behind these hills and these rocks, David walks up and he's like, how come no one's fighting this guy? And they're like, hey, Jit, go away. <laughs> if you grew up in the 90s and 2000s, you know what that was about. So they're like, hey. And so you, you can imagine his older brothers are there and he's like, hey, why don't y'all go silence this guy? And the older brothers are like, hmm, yeah, because he's huge. That's why. You ever had like a sibling pop off on somebody and you're like, let me, let me go fix this. And you show up and the person you're supposed to fix it with is huge. You're like, you know what? No, don't talk to him like that. All right, you need to get it fixed. <laughs> so so we, he goes and Goliath curses God. Long story short, Goliath curses God and David says, oh, no, 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 no. And he goes and gets five stones. Now here's an important thing, just free information. He didn't get five stones because he thought he would miss. He got five stones because Goliath had four brothers. He said, if I got to slay one, I may have to slay five. I'm going to take them all out. And he goes, and that's where we actually pick up in 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47. He says this, but David said to the Philistine, talking about Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. But he says this, so that all the earth may know. I want that to sink in. Because for some of you, you've been trying to figure out why you're going through what you're going through. You've been trying to figure out why life was so chaotic for you and you've been trying to figure out why things weren't fair in your life. Because you had every reason to not look to a God who seemed so unfair throughout the rest of your life. He wasn't fair here and he wasn't fair here and why would I put my faith in him for my eternity if I don't really know that I loved my life that much? And we see it in verse 47, so that all 
the world may know, let's keep going, that there is a God in Israel. And that this entire assembly, he's in, in other words, that everyone watching here may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And as you know, David slings a stone, kills the giant, cuts his head off with his own sword. Boss move, by the way. And here's the reality. When we read those stories, what do we do? We interject ourselves into David's place. We're like, man, I'm going to kill every giant. My boss, my career, my sickness, my disease. But those aren't real Goliaths. Because you can actually defeat many of those. What is greater in your life? What is the thing that when you stand in its shadow, it seems too big for you? What is the thing that would cause you to run away in terror? What is the greatest need that you could ever have in your life? And hear me, it's not your sickness. It's not your disease. Because even if you passed on from this life, there's something after it. So, so what is the greater need in your life? What is the real giant? What is your real Goliath? It is sin and death. The real thing that you needed defeated for you wasn't your cancer, it's not your job, it's not your career, it's not your paycheck, it's not your school. The real thing you needed defeated on your behalf, the real Goliath that's in your life is sin and death because it's the only thing that you can't beat on your own. But hear me, the beautiful thing is just like with David, when God chose his anointed, sent his anointed, commissioned his anointed, and then gave him the tools to defeat the giant in your life, guess what? God already sent his anointed, chose his anointed, commissioned his anointed, and he already defeated your Goliath for you. Hear me, the greatest need you ever had was that Jesus would defeat the only thing you can't defeat. Your real giant is the thing that could have put you in the pit for eternity. But Jesus, with a single shot, put on display for the world to see, that the earth may know that when Jesus comes on the scene, when, when his people fight, they don't fight with sword and spear, but that they lay down their life. And when Jesus laid down his life, he did what only he could do and give us access back to the Father. Give us access back to God. You see, David and Goliath has always been about God's people accomplishing God's person, accomplishing for God's people what God's people couldn't accomplish for themselves. David did it for the nation of Israel and it was only foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us. Defeat the thing we couldn't defeat. So he kills the giants we can't kill and the greatest need you've ever had was for God to give you access back to him. And Christ alone did that. So I want to take you back to how we started off today with, uh, with the game that Lakeith lost. The problem is just like sin in our life, he had lost the game before it ever started. And just like us, when it came to sin, when it came to our eternity, we lost that game before it ever started. 
But here's the reality. And here's the beauty of what Jesus does on our behalf. Are you ready? Jesus steps into our game. He says, I know the enemy created these rules for you. I know he's created and trapped you in a game you can't get yourself out of. He said, but I don't play by his rules. And he takes your cup. And in your cup is your sin. In your cup is the very thing that should have dictated your eternity. Whatever it is for you, it's different for all of us. But at the end of the day, it's just sin. It's simple but very complex that one word could describe the thing that would damn us all. He looks at it. I want to take you to one more scene in the Bible, Matthew 26. Before Jesus went to the cross, he went to pray there. And knowing what was coming for him, he knelt down and prayed. And the Bible says he prayed so intently that his sweat turned into blood. And he prayed to Jesus. And if we go to verse 39, he went on a little further, bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet, let your will be done, not mine. And because God was so set on rescuing us from our sin, Jesus drank of the cup that we could never drink of. He drank of it by going to the cross, by dying our death, because he lived our life, he killed our giant, and he gave us a way back to God. And today, today, your eternity can be secured in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ that you no longer have to strive for it, you no longer have to work for it, you no longer have to earn it, you no longer have to beat yourself up, you no longer have to consume your own mind, you no longer have to go to the penalties, you no longer have to torment yourself, you no longer have to go to that place where you try to put all of your eternity on your own works. You get to come to Jesus Christ where he says that cup that you were supposed to drink of, that cup that was supposed to damn you, that cup that was supposed to consume you, that cup that was supposed to put you in hell for all eternity, let me drink it because I'm better at handling that than you. Let me have it because I can pay the price you could never pay and I can give you access back to God in a way that you can't obtain him. How beautiful is it that we get to go to Christ and Christ alone, that he restarts the game for us. And now we get to play it with God on our side, with our sins paid for, and we never have to drink of the cup because Jesus drank it for us. How many guys can celebrate Jesus today? Let's give him praise across this place. We love you, Lord. Amen. Jesus is amazing, guys. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you.
Jesus, we thank you that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You paid the price, but you didn't just pay the price, you lived the life. And so God, we thank you for sending Jesus and Jesus, we thank you for your life, that you lived the life we could not live. You died the death, we deserve the lie, to, to, to deserve to die. You defeated the giant we could not defeat so that we could live in eternity, though we could never deserve it. So we put our hope in you and our faith in you. And we say, thank you. We love you today. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you laid down your life. If you're here today with your eyes closed and your head bowed, or maybe if you're watching online with us and Maybe you've tried to get yourself to the place of being good enough to be saved. You've tried to get yourself out of the game. You've tried to win. And you've realized you lost the game before it ever even started. And for some of you, I believe many of you, actually, you've even tried to be religious. You've tried to be a good rule follower. You've tried to come to church. You've tried to read your Bible. You've tried to do all the things on your end to be good enough to live in God's grace, but you have not surrendered to the finished work that Jesus did on your behalf. And today, I want to invite you into the place where you realize that you never had to play the game that the enemy was putting in front of you. Jesus already beat it. And so I wanna pray for those of you right now who you've had good intentions to be godly, but you feel like you've always fell short, that you would find absolute freedom in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I just wanna pray for you right now. God, I pray for every person that is here who has made valiant efforts to keep the rules, who has attempted in every way to be moral and to live the life that looked good and yet felt as if they were constantly failing. God, I thank you that though you are the standard that we're supposed to live up to and though we constantly fail at it, you made it to where it was never about our works because you gave us a covenant of grace. And God, I pray for every person who is now transitioning their thought process and their thought patterns to believe and in faith trust in the finished work of Christ to be the reason that they get to live for eternity in heaven, that God, they would start shifting their mind from a position of have to's to a position of get to's, from a position of pain, God, to a position of promise and pursuit after you, that God, they would go from God, just torture and striving and white knuckled religion where they're gripping as tightly as they can to their own future, to letting it go and trusting completely in who you are, Jesus, and that that faith, that faith alone would be the thing that would carry them through every step of every day in their life, God. Release the bondage of works and help them receive the gift of grace. We thank you for what you're accomplishing in us. And as we do that, we find ourselves pursuing after the lifestyle, the, the character that is of you because of what you've done, not so that we can obtain what you're giving us. 
set them free in Jesus' name. And lastly, if you're here today and you need Jesus in your life, you need a fresh start and you need to put your faith in Jesus because you've never done that. Today, Jesus is ready to meet you right where you're at. And I'm not gonna come to you, I'm not gonna point you out, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I do wanna pray with you that Jesus would give you a fresh start. And if you're ready to say, I'm laying my life down and I'm giving it all to Jesus, then I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me and the whole church will pray with you so you're not praying by yourselves. So let's pray, church. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me pure. Make me whole. 